Sunday uh, celebrating Easter. And today is the first Sunday after Easter, and I'd like to reflect on life after resurrection. Now we see a very interesting contrast in the disciples before the resurrection and after it. You know, before the resurrection, the disciples were self-centered, self-focused, and fearful. I mean, even when Jesus was concerned about the suffering and death that was about to come, the disciples were only concerned about who was the greatest among them or who would sit at Jesus' right hand. And at his time of greatest need, the disciples ran away and deserted Jesus fearful in the face of worldly power. Peter denied Jesus. Judas betrayed him. So the disciples were weak, cowardly, and small people. But we see a very different picture after the resurrection. Instead of self-focus and self-concern in today's passage, we see a concern for the community, for others. Instead of fear, we see power and boldness. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. After the resurrection, their hearts expanded, their courage expanded, their grace expanded. And that grace flowed from them into the community. No one was in need, and everyone's needs were met. People gave everything they had for the well-being of the community. And not only that, their identity and calling were also expanded. You know, this was the question to Jesus before his ascension. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? At first, the disciples still believed that Jesus came as the Messiah to restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory. They were looking at their own nation. But after the resurrection, their calling expanded beyond their own nation. You know, we're introduced today to Barnabas. He was a Levite, meaning uh, he was of the priestly tribe. He was brought up knowing all of the Jewish rituals and customs. In a word, he was a true Jew. But he also lived in Gentile territory in Cyprus. He was immersed in the life and ways of Gentiles. And in Barnabas, we see the beginnings of an expanded identity and calling for the Jewish people. Barnabas would pave the way for the mission to the Gentiles. You know, he was the one who vouched for Paul. We all know Paul, but you know, he used to be a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. And after, even after he converted, uh, the rest of the community were very suspicious of him. Barnabas, you know, he had street cred with the disciples, right? And he vouched for Paul. And this vouching paved the way for Paul to be accepted into the community. And then Barnabas and Paul were partners in mission, setting up churches and reaching out to the Gentiles. Paul was kind of originally his protege in a way. But, you know, eventually they had a falling out. And Paul actually became the more famous and prominent apostle to the Gentiles. But Barnabas played his role in expanding the identity and calling of Jewish followers of Jesus. So Acts as a whole shows the Spirit expanding their identity to include Gentiles. In Jesus, they were not losing or abandoning their Jewish identity, but expanding it. 
resurrection life is an expanded life. But you know, there are so many things that shrink our life. You know, the fear, shame, and guilt uh, shrank the disciples' life at first. And these things shrink ours too. And this pandemic has made it easier for us to shrink our lives. We've shrunk into our own spaces while dealing with the daily pressures, challenges, and stresses of life in this pandemic. It's also revealed many forces in our world that would shrink life. During this past year and months, there's been a great reckoning on race. We've seen the killing of George Floyd and others and the Black Lives Matter movement that erupted from that. And more recently, especially after these shootings in Atlanta, previously silenced voices have emerged regarding anti-Asian racism. I mean, the past few weeks alone, it's been like a floodgate has opened and so many voices have been pouring out stories of how racism has shrunk the lives of many Asians and other racial minorities, of having to be silent in the face of discrimination, of just having to let things slide, of not creating a fuss. And it made me think back, you know, as I treaded my way through this world, the voices that I heard were, you know, that racism, it, it doesn't really exist, so whatever you perceive, man, it's all in your head. Or that, you know, yeah, sure, it exists, but it's not as bad as it used to be. And it's getting better, so just take things in stride. Or, you know what, you don't have it as bad as other groups, so just be thankful and don't complain. So, you know what, I, I, I doubted myself a lot. I wondered if I was just kind of messed up in the head and kind of delusionally paranoid. I wasn't sure. And a question, ultimately, that kept looming deep in my mind was, as I grew up, do I really belong here? You know, many people out there, they want to go back to the good old days of an earlier time. That's the whole thrust behind the MAGA, right? Make America great. But for us racialized folks, do we really want to go back to that? Those good old days were when racism was overt, in our faces, and daily reminders for us that we do not belong here. For many of us, the good old days are better forgotten. You know, and last year, in Don Cherry's rants before he got kicked off TV, they reminded me of my childhood growing up with hockey. I mean, I loved hockey growing up. I would shoot the ball in the kitchen until the cupboards fell off. Every Saturday night, I looked forward to that anthem of Hockey Night in Canada to watch the Leafs lose yet another game. You know, I enrolled in a ball hockey league at the Recreation Center when I was seven years old, and I took the bus there all by myself just so I can play. In the winter, I took my skates and gloves and walked to the local rink and learned how to play shinny. And one day, this guy said, hey, kid, you should join a league. So I and told my dad, and uh, that's when it began. He took me to Ted Reeve Arena to sign me up. Uh, we didn't know anything about equipment. I had my skates, helmet, and gloves. That's it. So the guy from the league took me to a storage room and where there's all this old, used equipment. And that's how my illustrious hockey career began. I, mean, I loved the game, but I didn't love the culture as a, of hockey as I grew up. 
I mean, if I was better than average on my team and useful, you know, I'd probably get my due in playing time. If I was just average, I'd see my time on the ice endured and my treatment start to differ. My dad would say that in order for me to be treated fairly, I had to be even better than the others. And he was incensed by perceived unfair treatment. I think like two or three times during, over the years, he pulled me off the team. One time we were playing in the middle of a game, he yanked me off. And that was it. You know, in the dressing room, Asian jokes were commonplace. On the ice, racial slurs were said to incite me to take a penalty. Sometimes I would even feel targeted for body checks and hits. Needless to say, you know, my feelings toward hockey are very ambivalent. Now, people say it's Canada's game, but is it my game too? Do I belong to it? And now, do I really care for it? You know, Canada's changed a lot, and hockey is actually not that cool anymore, right? And overt discrimination is no longer acceptable. Many people can now grow up their whole childhood without experiencing overt discrimination due to race. So overt discrimination is not acceptable. But I think there is still a lot of covert, subconscious, or unintentional prejudice that still exists. You know, it's like this. Society has allowed spaces for Asians and other racial minorities to occupy. You know, things, spaces like good professions and good neighborhoods for us to live in. But the way I see it is we're allowed to be an occupant of that space, but not necessarily an owner of it. Keep your head down. Get along. Toe the party line and be grateful for your place. And maybe you'll even be rewarded with promotions within that space. But don't critique that space or try to lead it because you're lucky just to be where you are. Don't stand out. See, I don't know. Is this all in my head, guys? What I've seen is that a racialized person who dares to venture out beyond their given spaces is often met with great backlash particularly in leadership or spaces where Asian or racialized faces are not commonplace. You know, Nahid Nemchi, the mayor of Calgary for the last 10 years, he's thrown in the towel, decided not to run again. He just grew tired of all the trolls on Twitter being outright racist and bigoted over his religion. And you know, when Olivia Chow ran for mayor of Toronto in 2014, she began as the front runner, ended up in third. You know, the media cited a number of factors for this poor showing, and I, they're, they're probably contributing factors too, but me personally, I believe that race and sexism and the combination of these two as an Asian female were significant reasons, whether people were conscious or not. You know, uh, Paul Kang shared with me an essay uh, written by Chloe Kim, the snowboarding champion and gold medalist who's of Korean descent. And this past week, she wrote an essay about how all these years she had been silent about all the racism that was directed her way, especially on social media, and how deeply it, it hurt. And there's so many of these kinds of stories now emerging. Silence all these years. 
And whenever Asians enter spaces they're not traditionally a part of, or if they don't behave as a grateful recipient of society's beneficence, there's great backlash. Thing is, most of the time, we can't really prove racial bias is there. You know, in my second year of university, I applied for a summer job at a large accounting firm. There were four interviewees from my class, like my cohort. There was a white guy, a white girl, a Chinese girl, and me. We were all similar on paper, which is how we got the interview in the first place. And they were hiring two students. Guess who got them? That's right, the two white people. Were they objectively better than us? Perhaps. I mean, surely the fact that the interviewers were white had nothing to do with that selection though, right? But of course, I can't prove anything. This has been my experience throughout my life, and I know for many others too. Noticing and observing things. Perceiving things, but not being able to prove anything. And then questioning myself. Being questioned by others. Wonder, wondering whether I'm just being paranoid, whether I'm too hypersensitive and vigilant. And I know this isn't the case with uh, many people, actually. A lot of well-adjusted people, right? But for me, I've been pretty messed up when it comes to race. You know, many Asians have found their safe spaces in this society with their jobs, their families, and safe neighborhoods to live in. And many Asians came to believe that we've overcome this past racial hostility and animus. But a lot of this feeling has kind of been punctured, right, by what we've seen throughout this pandemic and lately. You know, when we're, we confine ourselves to a given space, our life shrinks. And I mean, life is hard enough as it is, right? So even within our own spaces, we have many problems and things we need to contend with. We have 99 problems and more. We find our joys and contentment within this space too. But when we're confined to our own space, we become closed off and separated from those in other spaces. We are removed from the struggles of others. And when we don't feel like we fully belong, we become mere occupants of that space. And our focus becomes on extracting whatever I can from this space to take care of myself and my family. So what happens elsewhere in this space and beyond it? It's not really my concern. We start living a shrunken existence. How many of us have consciously or unconsciously shrunken our vision for what's possible in my life, for ourselves and for our children. The resurrection, it's not a mere continuation of the past. It's something entirely new. But it is also not separate from the past. You know, the resurrection, it's, it's a great mystery to me. Jesus uh, was, the resurrected Jesus, he wasn't merely a resuscitated corpse. You know, the disciples and the women did not recognize Jesus at first. 
they recognized him when he showed them the wounds and scars he got from the cross. So the resurrected Jesus was different from the earthly Jesus, but the wounds from his past remained as part of his resurrected form. That's when I realized this truth about the resurrection. We are transformed into something new, but we are connected with our past by the wounds we carry. You know, the disciples would never erase their past. Their past self-centeredness, their cowardice, it's forever recorded in the Gospels. We read about it all the time. The shame of their weakness and failure was their wounds. They would never escape these wounds from their past. But in their shame and fear, they met their resurrected Jesus. That shame became the place where they experienced the forgiveness and grace of God. And from that shame, they were transformed into powerful witnesses. So we become new people only when we carry the marks of our past pains and wounds. That is the only true and authentic path to resurrection. You know, I used to wonder why I had to go through all of what I did. Why I was so messed up in my mind. But you know, I realized that I am who I am today because of all I've been through. The pain that I experienced is part of who I am. And that place of pain is where God's grace is most real for me. I mean, I'm still dysfunctional, messed up, and maladjusted in so many ways. Honestly, put me in a room full of white people and I still get stiff and awkward. I'm still like on alert and edge. I'm messed up. And it hurts. But you know what? Through all of that, God has been transforming me into who God wants me to be. I am dysfunctional in so many ways, but it is God who helps me function. I am maladjusted to this world, but God adjusts my direction and calling. I am so messed up, but God stitches something new and beautiful out of that messiness. By God's grace, I am who I am and who I am becoming. And last week we sang uh, a closing song, Now That You're Near, right? And the chorus goes, now that you're near, right? Everything is different. Everything's so different, Lord. I know I'm not the same. My life you've changed. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. That, in a nutshell, is my testimony. And this is our testimony. The pain dysfunction and messed upness is still part of me. It's on me. But still, I am being transformed into something new. 
And my friends, this is the good news of the resurrection. And this is why I love the gospel. What does a resurrected life look like for Koreans and Asians and others? First, let us hear the voices of the many stories that are emerging of their pain and woundedness. Let us join in sharing our own stories too. <clears throat> Don't just bury the pains of your past or try to forget about them. Second, we need to stop seeing ourselves as occupants or guests. You know, the prophet Jeremiah said this to the exiles who were lost and displaced in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God has sent us here to live where we live. We have a calling to seek the welfare of this city, this country, whatever space you occupy. Whether it's your workplace, your social circles, even this church community. Don't just be a guest. Don't just try to extract what you can for your own survival and benefit. Seek the welfare of that space. Bring blessing to that space. Just like the disciples in today's passage, do you see anyone in need wherever you are? Help them out. Give all that you have for the needs of others in that space. This is the way you will become a leader wherever you are, by serving others in your space and attending to their needs. And thirdly, let us expand our hearts and spaces to welcome others into them. You know, in our own community, Brim will present today about the Rose of Sharon nursing home. Let us open our hearts to support this. And as I think ahead, I see the Korean church and community, expanding our space to welcome in solidarity those from different backgrounds who seek justice and healing, to expand who we are and our identity. We were brought here not to live enclosed in our own spaces, but to be a blessing to this city, this country, this world. Individually, each of us are small, broken, and feeble people, as I've just shared about me too. But the spirit of the resurrected Christ takes us in our brokenness and gives us the power to expand who we are and be a blessing wherever we go. How is God wanting to use you as a blessing for this world in the spaces that you are in. Let us reflect on this as the praise team comes up to lead us.